First Corinthians chapter three. First Corinthians chapter three as we continue our series on Tuesday nights in the book of First Corinthians. And let's remember primarily why Paul is writing this letter. This is a letter of correction from the founder of this church who established this church on such a solid foundation of Christ and His Word, and yet it hasn't been too many years and the church has lost its focus. It's it's veered away from its solid foundation that Paul has established. And yet they thought, the Corinthians as a whole, in general, their church thought that they were a growing, mature people. And Paul comes along and says, well... If you're, if you're such a mature people spiritually, why is there so much disunity in the church? Because disunity uh, is a sign of immaturity. And so he hits on that in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2. He then goes on because they, they uh, in a sense, exalted wisdom. And he said, well, you may have wisdom in the church at Corinth, but it's not God's wisdom. And he pointed out last week that the reason it's not God's wisdom is because there's no spiritual power in the church. And he says, where there is wisdom, there is power. Where there is power, there will be wisdom. And so we talked about that last week. And then we come to chapter 3 tonight. Again, where Paul is talking about spiritual growth and the absolute necessity of it. And as we dive into this chapter tonight... I just want us all to remember that Paul has some audiences, obviously, in mind. Certainly, he has the church uh, at Corinth in mind. The entire church, congregation. Okay, everybody. And so I would say tonight, obviously, he has the oasis in mind as he's writing this. He also has church leaders, especially, in mind. That in a sense, before God... Uh, church leaders need to pay attention to some of the principles that Paul lays down in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Then he's also talking, obviously, to every individual Christian as well. And there are principles throughout this chapter that each of us can apply to our individual walk with God. But, but keep in mind that primarily what Paul's talking to the Corinthians about tonight is in the context of the local church. And so I want to point this out before we even dive into verse 1. In verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 3, Paul calls the church God's field and God's building. These are very significant words. And they really should set every local church off on the direction that God expects the church to go. The words God's field speak of a place that provides an environment for growth. That's what a field is. It's a place for growth. And so he says the church should be a place where there is an environment created in that church for growth. He also calls it God's building. And if you study this in the original language, this means a place that promotes growth. Building. Even the word building. He talked about building up and and building out. He's talking about spiritual growth. And so not only an environment where, you know, growth is, is promoted, but an environment where we can grow. So we really see the priority here. In fact, the other day as I was studying this, I told my wife, I said, 
put this on my Facebook. I said, because she's my Facebook person. <clears throat> Plus, she edits everything that I say anyway, because it has to go through the editor. I said, put, put something like this. I said, where did we ever, as human beings, as Christians, as, as followers of Christ, where did we ever get the idea that we can make church what we want? Isn't church and, and what the church is to be, isn't that defined by God, the one who created the church? Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church? And yet, somewhere down a long time, we as Christians started to look at church and, and, and try to make church what we wanted it to be or what we thought. And God says, well, no, I, I'll, I gave you in the Bible what church should be like. It's part of the reason why when churches, many of them in general, have forsaken the Bible, then obviously they also have gotten off course as to what God wants His church to be like. Many churches are not a place or an environment where People can really grow and thrive spiritually. And many churches are not a place that promotes spiritual growth. They promote other things. And so hopefully at the Oasis, if you, people want to know what's the Oasis about, you can even say, well, according to 1 Corinthians 3.9, I think God wants His church to be this type of a church. With that said, let's go back to verse 1 and see what Paul says. He says, so brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as spiritual people. Meaning one who is filled and led by the Spirit. Now I'm sure that took them back. Because remember, the Corinthians thought they were spiritual people. They were the ones who thought that Paul was becoming very simplistic because Paul only had one message, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul, can't we get past that to something deeper, remember? And Paul addressed this and Paul said, well, even though you're accusing me of being pretty simplistic, the truth be known, I can't speak to you as spiritual. I'm sure that rocked their world. In fact, I think that's one of the reasons why over in verse 18 of chapter 3, he tells them to guard against self-deception. Why? Because when we're not spiritually growing, we don't even really know where we really are spiritually. The Christians who really know and can accurately assess where they are spiritually are the Christians who are on the spiritual growth track. You see, when a Christian is not growing then they cannot fairly or truly evaluate where they are. In fact, most of them would say, I'm good, I'm okay. In fact, how many Christians have you ever run into who really were honest about the fact that, no, I'm really not spiritual at this moment. You know, most Christians try to convince themselves they're okay. And when they're in an environment that doesn't promote spiritual growth, they're going to think they're okay when they're not okay. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm glad to be part of a church family in a church environment where if I'm not okay, I'm going to be challenged by that. And, 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 and because you love me enough and I love you enough and God loves us all enough, He wants us when we are out of tune with Him and out of fellowship with Him 
to not be okay with that so that we can come back into fellowship with Him and do the things that we need to do to restore that strong relationship and fellowship. But He says, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but instead as people of the flesh. Literally, those rooted in the natural world rather than the spiritual world. Instead of being led by the Spirit, they are being led by the world and its perspective and philosophy. And he goes on and even adds, as infants in Christ. Now let me just say, obviously when a person accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior, all of us, at one time or another, were infants in Christ. Paul's not saying that You know, we shouldn't ever be infants. What Paul is implying here, and and we're going to certainly get to that in verse 2, is that by now, by now, you all in Corinth should have grown past the infancy stage. You should be growing to the point where you're growing out of the infancy stage. By the way, the word infant there means childish and immature. And again, Paul's going to say, here's how I know that you haven't grown. Because you're acting childish and immature, rather than as mature believers. And when you think about the physical idea of an infant, you can parallel, we can parallel a lot of those characteristics of a little infant with a spiritually immature person. For instance, an infant is totally dependent on everybody around. They can't do anything for themselves. And see, God wants us to get to the point where we can feed ourselves rather than always depending on others to feed us. Also, infants are all about them. They don't care about anybody else. They're hungry, feed me. They're tired, put me to sleep or do something, but pay attention to me. They're very much takers, not givers. And so that's part of that immature, childish thing that we see in the physical world in infants. And Paul's saying, this is what I'm seeing in the church at Corinth. And can I just say, that's what we see in a lot of churches today. Sometimes we see it here. Sometimes I'm that way. And we've got to grow past that. We've got to let God take us to the spiritual adulthood stage so that we can grow up and act like Mature, responsible adults rather than as immature infants. One of the ways that we know that we're not growing, verse 2, is what is our diet? What is our diet? And see, why spiritual growth is so necessary is because we will grow out of the milk of the Word and grow on to more mature meat that will continue to help us and enable us to grow. He says, I fed you milk. And there was a time where feeding them milk, again, was very appropriate because they were infants. Not solid food, for you were not yet ready. In fact, though, here's the problem. You are still not ready. And the words not yet ready really imply a lack of capability of taking in anything more than milk. Spiritual diet. One of the things that you folks here need to be commended for is that you want meat. 
you, you don't you don't want milk anymore. And and there comes a point where in people's diets, if they truly want to grow, then milk will not be enough because they have come to understand if I stay at the milk level, I will stay at the infant stage. I will never grow past that if all I'm getting is milk. Now, I think there's a lot of Christians who they say I want to grow, but when it comes down to really the challenge of what it takes to get out of the milk stage and do something different with their spiritual diet, there's also a lot of Christians out there that never make that step. And again, I know, I'm speaking to the wrong group. (laughs) But I want to do that to encourage you. Because there are people out there like yourself who want more than the milk of the work. They want the meat because they understand that it's only through the meat that I get to that point that my spiritual growth is really going to take off. How sad, how sad that Paul was available to them to teach them the Word of God and Paul says, I can't do it because you can't take it. Which I'm just going to say this for the teachers, especially those of you that feel you have the gift of teaching in here. There's a very important principle that Paul lays down here in the Word of God to us teachers. And that is that an effective teacher is not someone that teaches their audience everything they know as a teacher. They teach what they believe their audience can handle. That's an effective teacher. And Paul says, I couldn't teach you any more than what I was teaching you because I knew you weren't capable of handling it. That's a really important principle. Some really good Bible teachers go into an audience and they don't know their audience and they totally lose their audience because they don't understand the audience that they're speaking to. I'm so glad I have you. Because again, I, I don't water stuff down when I come on Sunday or Tuesday. I give you the word because I believe I know my audience. I believe I know the people who are here and your heart and where you are and where you want to go that I'm going to give you what I get from the word of God because of who you are. So again, I hope that will encourage you. And there are more out there, by the way, just like you. Verse 3, for you are still influenced by the flesh. In other words, you're still under the control of your fallen human nature rather than the Spirit of God. And here's how Paul knows that. He says, for since there is jealousy in the church. The word jealousy literally in the original means to boil. That's what it means, to boil. But it also means this. It means rivalry. And Paul's saying, I see rivalry in the church at Corinth. We're going to get to more of that later on. You'll see how that plays into his message in chapter 3. And then he says, I also see dissension in the church at Corinth. This means strife and contention among you. Again, 
Paul's trying to point out to the Corinthians, Corinthians, if you're so spiritually wise and you're so full of spiritual power and you're so spiritually mature, why is there all this jealousy and dissension and strife and contention and disunity in the church? If you're really grown-up spiritual adults, then you shouldn't be seeing these evidences of immaturity in the church. So he's, he's laying it on them. He's not, he's not letting them get away with where they think they are. Because as their spiritual father, he may believe that this is one last chance that he has to try to shake them out of their spiritual complacency and get this church and get every individual in that church back on the right track rather than being in this spiritual fog that they are in. I commend him for it because guess what? His letter was not a popular letter. But it was a necessary letter. In fact, I came across, across a quote this past week in my studies that I really liked. There was an old preacher back a couple hundred years ago who said that it is my task not to tell people what they want to hear, but to tell them what in a painful future they wish they had heard. It's like, ooh, that's true. That's true. We've all been there. Verse 4. I'm sorry. So he goes on and says, You, aren't you not influenced by the flesh, the end of verse 3, and behaving like unregenerate people? Wow. Now he says, not only are you not spiritual, but it's very hard to distinguish between the way you guys are living in Corinth in the church and the way people who don't even know God are living. Wow. And we all know that. There have been times in our life as a Christian where probably at that season or moment in time, if somebody was observing the way we were living or what we were doing or what we were saying, they might not be able to tell that we were a Christian at all. We all have moments, lapses. The problem in Corinth is this was continual. This, was, this wasn't just a slip up. This was the norm now in the church. That, that people couldn't tell the difference between the church in Corinth of the Lord Jesus Christ and those who weren't even Christians. Again, isn't it sad that there are many churches and groups of Christians where that could be said of today? That there is no distinguishing or distinctiveness between the way Christians live and many times the way those without Christ lives? And Paul says, is that really the way the church should be? And then I love this. He says in verse 4, whenever someone says, I'm with Paul, or I am with Apollos, are you not merely human? And I love that word human. It speaks of weakness. Remember, we're dust. And yet, we have the capacity as God's children to the power of God. We can be so much more than merely human if we would tap in to the Lord Jesus Christ and fellowship with Him. Why? Paul said, even though I'm weak, I'm strong through Christ. And Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We don't have to be merely human. Limited by our own weakness and frailty. But through Christ, we can pull down every stronghold, Paul said. And then he says in verse 5, what is Apollos really? Or what is Paul? 
See, they were elevating human beings, putting human beings up on pedestals. And Paul says, here's the reality, folks. We're just servants. The word means attentive waiters. That's all we are. We're not rock stars. We're not Christian celebrities. We are servants. And boy, we need to hear this in the church today because we're the same as the church in Corinth. We have a Christian culture that elevates, you know, preachers and singers and whatever, and we put them up on pedestals and we practically worship them and and they're like, you know, celebrities. And it's like, really? Aren't we all just human without God? And aren't we all, no matter who we are, just servants? And then he says, servants through whom you came to believe. In other words, we are instruments in God's hands, but we're servants. And each of us in the ministry the Lord gave us, and this ties in with what we taught on Sunday out of the book of Romans, that each of us has a role or an assignment within the body of Christ. And that's why Paul goes on to say, hey, I planted, Apollos watered, but God is the one who caused it to grow. In fact, he says, without God, it cannot grow. God's math is always one plus one equals one. (laughs) Or however many human beings you want to add up, it always comes back to God is the bottom line. I love the word grow here. It means to become greater. God can help our church, just like the church at Corinth, to become greater than it is right now. In fact, that's His desire for the church of the Oasis. That we never be satisfied with where we are, but through God, we become greater. He also has that same desire for each of us. It is God's desire that each of you as His child becomes greater, if you will. Not in a prideful, I'm great way, but meaning that we expand and see what God can do in and through us. But it only comes through God. And Paul said, I'm just one of those instruments that God used to cause it all. But without God, it's nothing. That's why he goes on and says, neither the one who plants counts for anything, nor the one who waters, but God who causes the growth. Now, he doesn't mean that human instruments are of no value. But what he is saying there in verse 7 is, without God, it wouldn't matter what I did, what Apollos did, what any of us did. If God wasn't in it, it wasn't going to grow because he's the one and the only one that can cause growth. We're simply the instruments that God uses. Wow. What a balanced, sensible way to look at himself and his ministry. That's why he goes on in verse 8 to say, The one who plants and the one who waters works as one. See, in the church at Corinth, there was rivalry, there was contention, there was strife. And Paul says, no, no, no. In a spiritually mature church, everybody realizes that they have their own assignment, their own role, but they don't compete with each other. They work in unison and harmony with each other. And that's exactly what the word one means. In unison. In harmony. Complementing each other, not competing with each other. So many churches 
create an environment of competition either within their own staff or within their own body. This ministry is in competition with this ministry. This, this group over here is in competition with this group. We've created a, a culture in American, at least, Christianity, where this church is in competition with this church. Can I tell you, I hope we never get to the point where we're worried about what that church across town, where they're at, what they're doing, how big they are, whatever. That's not what God wants us to focus on. God wants us to focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and growing in Him, and He'll take care of the rest. And then He does go on to say, each of us will receive the reward according to His work. In other words, we will receive one day the fruit from our labor and the investment that we have made. And I love the word work. In the original, it means intense intentionality. Let me repeat that. The word work here means intense intentionality. In other words, Paul's also bringing to bear a really important principle. Whatever God is giving me an assignment to do, I should put my all into it. There should be an intensity, an, an, an earnestness, if you will, a passion to whatever God is wanting me to do, whatever He's wanting us to do. And there should be some intentionality to it. It's not just, well, we'll just sort of, you know, let things just sort of fall out the way they're going to fall out. No, God wants us to plan and have some kind of intentionality, some kind of purpose, some kind of goal in mind. That's why I think here Paul's saying the goal for you in Corinth, and I think the goal for us needs to be keep growing spiritually. It's so necessary. He goes on to say, we are co-workers, literally companions in the work belonging to God. You are God's field. We've already talked about that. God's building. And according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. First of all, the word master builder in the Greek language is the word architectron, where we get our word architect from. But the word in the Greek language means not only to start something, but to join. In other words, it is this beautiful picture of someone, again, with God's enablement and wisdom to not only be able to, to start something, but then once it started, to have the wisdom and, and, and the know-how from God to be able to join the pieces as they come together to keep it going and keep it growing. That's a master builder. A master builder from Paul or God's perspective is not somebody that just gets something started. We all know a lot of us have got something started and then it just sort of... God wants to see it sustained. And so that not only takes being able to start something well, but also then to join the next things in line so that it can keep growing. One of the challenges for me as the pastor of this church, one of the challenges for us as church leaders is to know what is that next thing? What is that next step? What, what do we join now to what we already have to keep it going forward? Do I have time? No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on. If I have time, I'll come back. 
So then Paul goes on to say, I laid a foundation in Corinth. Someone else is building on it, obviously. And each one must be careful how he builds. Literally, the word careful means to weigh. Weigh what you're doing. Let it weigh on you, in a sense, for a little while. Consider. And notice this. Notice Paul says, don't weigh what you're building. Notice he says, weigh how you're building. That speaks of motives and means. See, in God's eyes, it's not just enough to be building something, but to be building it from the right motive and with the right means or methods, which takes us back to chapter 1. Remember where Paul said, I didn't come to you in eloquence and and articulating and all this wisdom and pomp and circumstance and high-sounding words. I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling so that your faith would be in the power of God and not in me, so that at the end of the day, you wouldn't go back and go, wow, what what a preacher, Paul. No, you would go back and go, wow, what a God. Jesus Christ. So God does care what means and methods we use. That's why he says then in verse 11, no one can say or can lay any foundation other than what is being laid, which is Jesus Christ. In other words, only God can define what is a suitable foundation in the spiritual realm. And God says the only suitable foundation for a church or a life or anyone else or anything else is Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. If the foundation is not Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what anyone builds, what any church builds. If the foundation is not Jesus Christ, then from God's perspective, it's a faulty foundation. And it's not going to be suitable to build anything on. But he goes on to say in verse 12, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, Each builder's work will be plainly seen for the day will make it clear because it will be revealed by fire. The words plainly seen mean recognized for what it really is. God's going to put our work, if you will, to the test. And I think especially this passage right here is a challenge to us as church leaders, not just as individual Christians, certainly as individual Christians, we can we can apply this to our life. Because we're building something with our lives too. But I think in the context here, talking to the church at Corinth, he's talking to each of us who call, say, the Oasis our home church, and especially to the leaders of the Oasis, we need to be careful how we're building. And with what kind of materials we're using. And I think that's why he uses the different materials of gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, hay, and straw. Because we all know that when you're using more precious materials, first of all, it's going to be a little bit more costly. And it's going to take a little bit more time and effort. For instance, many people believe that there's gold out in them in our hills, in the Superstition Mountains. And we all know the amount of money that people have spent to try to get that gold and dig for that gold. It, it's, not, it's not right there. It's not easy to come by. And yet, when we take the time and the effort to build with more quality materials, it may take a lot more time and a lot more effort up front, 
But then the foundation and what is being built on it is going to be solid for years and years. Where? If we take shortcuts as a church, if we try to get things up quick and, and, and try to, you know, do, do it without or cutting corners without doing it the right way, oh, we can do it. But is it going to, is it going to last? Is it going to pass the test one day that God's going to put it through? Or is it going to just blow up? That's why as a local church, we have to be very careful not to get caught up in taking shortcuts and, and, and doing it, it might take us longer to get to where we believe God wants us to go. But if we do it with quality, rather than worrying about quantity, in the long haul, that quality is going to give us a better base to which our future can go. Which is exactly what I think he's saying here. Because he goes on in verse 14 to say, if what someone has built survives, lasts, endures, remains, that's what the word survive means, he will receive a reward. If someone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. The word loss means to forfeit what could have been, but there's also the implication that they will see one day the damage done by not building with proper quality materials by taking the shortcut rather than doing it God's way. Which again, in the context here, I think he's talking about spiritual growth. He himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Then verse 16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? If someone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy, which is what you are. Now, Paul basically says the same thing over in chapter six. But in that chapter, I think he's talking to individual Christians. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit here in chapter three. I think in the context, he's talking to the church in Corinth. And he's saying, you, the church at Corinth, you are God's temple. And he's saying, if you as a church destroy God's temple, God will destroy you. So what's he saying to the church then? Well, first of all, we have to define what's the word destroy mean. I studied and I studied and I studied and I finally came to a word that I felt comfortable using to describe in English what I think the word destroy means in the Greek. The first word destroy here, if anyone destroys the church, I think the best word to use to describe it is the word trivialize. If anyone trivializes the church, doesn't think it's important to do it the right way, to build with the right quality materials, to do it right, then Paul goes on to say, God will destroy them. Not quite the same word, but similar. It literally means to shrivel or wither. In other words, that even though this church exists, if they continue to trivialize what God has said and what God's expectations for His church is, and they continue to ignore what God wants and how God wants them to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, then their ministry will shrivel and wither up. To the point where maybe physically there's still a church there, but they're no longer making an impact for Jesus Christ. 
It's very similar in the Old Testament to the temple. When God said to His people, I am done with you. My glory will depart. And His glory departed from the temple. Because He said, I'm not part of what you're doing there anymore anyway. Very important message to us and our church. So then he goes on in verse 18. Guard against self-deception, each of you. Be careful that we are in a place spiritually where we can fairly, truly, and accurately evaluate where we are as a church and as individuals. If someone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become foolish. Let, literally, let him acknowledge his limitations. If we're human, we have limitations. So that he can become wise. When we acknowledge our limits as human beings, then we open up to ourselves through God, an unlimited God. That's all God's looking for. People who are willing to acknowledge their weakness and limitations, then he can really begin to work. If we think we got it all handled, then we don't need God. And we will struggle and butt our heads up against the wall all the time. Because we will be very well aware of our limitations over and over again. For the wisdom of this age is foolishness with God. As it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. This is a quotation from the Old Testament. Literally, He captures the wise in their craftiness. What, what's Paul... Why is he quoting this? He's saying, God is so wise that he can allow, in a sense, those who think they're wise to do what they want to do, and yet, through doing what they want to do, they produce their own downfall. In other words, God, God will let them go and do what they want to do without Him, but in God's universe, they're going to fall. And then he quotes again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. The word futile means no lasting fruit won't endure the test of time. And that's what God is looking for. A people who aren't just living for the moment, who aren't just living for the here and now but people who are building their individual lives and are part of a church that's in it for the long haul. That we're here to do things that will last throughout eternity. That's what counts with God. Not the flash that's here for a second and gone and people forget about it and whatever. God is about doing a work in our lives that lasts. And he's about doing a work through a local church like ours and impacting people that truly will last. Not something that just hits them for a little bit, gets their emotions all stirred up, gets them going for a while, and then crash and burn. He's looking for an environment that will sustain their continued spiritual growth for years and years to come. So then, I love this, verse 21. No more boasting about mere mortals. Quit putting people up on pedestals. Quit making rock stars and celebrities out of Christians. We are just servants. We're just servants of the Lord Jesus 
Christ. And then, I love this. this. Talk about ending on a great, powerful, positive note tonight. That's why I'm glad he ended chapter 3 the way he did. Not that he ended it this way. I love this. Don't miss this. This is so important. Notice what he says to us as Christians. Everything belongs to you. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, everything belongs to you. You belong to Christ. Christ belongs to God. First of all, the word belongs means at your disposal. So what's Paul saying? Well, let me contrast it with the way the world looks at it. The person without God tries to grab everything in the world that they can. Because somehow they think if I don't go after it and pursue it and that that's my focus, I'm going to miss out. In fact, that's one of the great deceptions and lies of the devil even to Christians. Christian, don't spend your life committed to Christ. You're going to miss what this world has for you and your life's going to go by so quickly and then you're going to be at the end of your life and you're going to regret that you poured your life into worshiping Jesus Christ and you didn't really live. Paul says, here's the cool thing about being a Christian. And this is exactly why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the meek, for they shall what? Inherit the earth. See, if, if we're spiritually growing, then we get to a point where we realize that if we have Christ, then everything in God's universe is at our disposal. And God can use everything, the good, the bad, everything. As we sing in the chorus, He gives, He takes away, but it's all to make us stronger and better and greater, to become greater. And everything in the universe is at God's disposal. And guess what? Because we're connected to Christ and Christ is connected to God, everything is at our disposal too. So Paul ends this great chapter on basically telling the Corinthians, you're not as spiritually mature as you think you are, but he does it in a way that he's trying to inspire them and motivate them to get back on track and spiritually grow because he ends this chapter by reminding them that when you and I spiritually are growing, then and only then do we realize who we really are and what we have at our disposal. When we're not growing, we miss out. We, we begin to grab and snatch and try to claw life around us and try to grab things because somehow we think we're missing out whenever all we have to do is seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and focus on Jesus Christ and everything belongs to us anyway. We don't have to be out there trying to grab and thinking we're going to miss out because we're not missing out on anything anything of value is already ours because we are jesus christ's sons and daughters everything is at our disposal and god can use anything and everything and we have everything as a church at our disposal think about that it's a daunting task this season that we're coming into where we're praying about and seeking god's direction as to going to a more permanent site. And we, we rent this facility on Sundays and Tuesdays and all the classrooms that the youth and the kids use. 
And we obviously know that this was a blessing that God has given us, this place to start our church and meet in. But we also know that this is not the place that God wants us to be 10, 15, 20 years from now. And it could be very intimidating for any of us to be at this stage where the future is so uncertain. And yet when you go back to this and go, you know what? Everything's at God's disposal and everything is at our disposal too. So let's not limit as to what God could do and where God could take us. As I've said before, God already has a place picked out for the Oasis anyway. He just hasn't told us yet. But that's not what it's about anyway. Because God's all about the process of us as a church and us as individuals continually learning and growing to depend upon Him more and seek Him more. If He told us right now where it is, then for many of us, okay, now we got that figured out. We don't need you, God, for a little while. We'll come back type of thing. And God is all about... I, I like the fact that you're coming and you're praying and you're seeking me and whatever. Let's keep this process going because in this process you're going to learn to keep seeking and keep trusting and keep growing. Because God's all about the process. Because once we get to the destination, then we start all over again with God. Because God is always about the journey. Teaching us through that journey. He does it with us as a church. And He does it with us in our individual lives. So I hope that this chapter will inspire you and motivate you, you guys, to keep on doing what you're doing. You are, you know, those people out there in this society who you're not satisfied with milk and you want more and you want to grow and you truly want the Bible. I commend you for that. And, and because of that, just keep with it. Keep, keep going. God has an unbelievable plan for you individually, and he, I think He's got an unbelievable future plan for this church. But in the meantime, before we get there, any of us, let's take encouragement from those last couple of verses. When you wake up tomorrow, quote those verses to yourself. Twice in the last three verses, Paul tells the Corinthians and tells us, everything, everything belongs to you. Because you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. Everything. We're not missing out on anything as the children of God. Everything that is in God is at our disposal. We don't, if we're not growing, we don't see who we really are and the spiritual wealth all around us. But when we are growing, we begin to see, wow, that's who I am. And look at what I have. I'm rich in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for reminding us of these truths and principles. And God, thank you for caring enough about us that you never let us in a place where we just are floundering spiritually. That You want to come into our lives through Your Spirit, through Your Word, through any means available to, to just spur us on that there's more out there than what we're experiencing. There's more in Your Word. There's more in the church. There, there's more in our own lives. There's more potential. There's more 
more of everything out there if we just keep going. So God, help us individually and as a church not to be satisfied with what we've accomplished. But help us to keep looking to You. To continue to take us down the road further and further to what is ahead. Building on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ. And help each of us, and help us as a church, to be careful how we build. Help us not to take shortcuts. Help us not to to cut off the quality because we're in a hurry or we're impatient. Help us to always do what we do to the very best of our ability and with the absolute quality of material that we possibly can build. Because one day, Lord, our work will be tested by Your fire. And only the work that passes that test of fire is what's going to last into eternity and really count. Help us to live, God, for what really counts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, thanks for being here. We'll see you on Sunday.